Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I'm just really excited to have my friend Jamie Engelhart with us again. Welcome back, Jamie. Thank you. It's awesome to be with you. Thank you. This actual podcast is number 331, and I think Jamie was with me uh, 270 or something like that six or seven months ago. And then we got to meet together at one of his friends' groups close to Kansas City in Missouri. And I've been following Jamie for a long time. And uh, he, gosh, he's just a wonderful guy. He's an author. He's a worldwide speaker. And we're going to talk about where he's been just in this last week in a minute. And a blogger and course developer and mentor of grace leaders around the world. And he's got a wonderful book, Myths and Mistranslations, Unpacking 70 Misconceptions About God and the Bible. And that's just been translated into one of the Finnish languages and the Dutch. And we'll talk about that. But Jamie, so good to have you here. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. I know when we finally were able to meet in person, you know, there's just some folks you meet and you just know right away, you know, it's like you've been, uh, you've known each other for a long time and uh, great being able to connect with you. Well, certainly mutual. And when we did see you that, I think it was a Saturday night in Belton, Missouri, uh, my wife and I were sitting on the front row and you prophesied over us that our uh, later years would be more fruitful than our earlier years. And I've never forgotten that. I have it written down and I look at it every morning and it means so much to me. And gosh, you know what? We're seeing that prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I want to talk about is my new book that you're in. It's called Grace to All, same as the name of the podcast. And in the book, I feature about 85 people that I've interviewed, including you, write a couple of pages about each one of you. And then in between each page, I have a devotional type thing that really centers on helping us understand who we are in Christ and unconditional love and grace and inclusion and finished work. And my goal with that is to connect people around the world with other like-minded believers that they can learn from and study from and maybe develop a bond with and uh, get their books and read them and all that kind of stuff. And when you and I were talking before we started the recording, you said the number one question that people ask you online or in person is, where can I connect? with somebody that lives within an hour of me. And tell us a little bit more about the hunger that you're seeing in people. The amazing thing about social media and YouTube and things like that is I get contacted, especially since also I wrote my book. And it's amazing how even though I self-published and just advertised on like Facebook and Instagram, but how many people around the world have found that book? I'll get messages and people are like, you know, we're in India and we're using it as a class for our Bible school. I'll get a message and someone will say, our church has been using this for our home life groups. And we discuss like two myths a week. Mm -hmm. And then everybody goes and studies it out and then comes back and discusses it even more. And just 
it's amazing how ever since we hit the information age, I think what's shifted in the church is all of the questions that people have had for hundreds of years and have answers for them, or our church cultures and systems were not set up in a way that questions were healthy. It's like when I was growing up in the church and you asked a question, it was normally, you know, because I said so, or you just have to believe whatever the Bible says, or the main one you got was don't touch God's anointed. You know, like, well, <laughs> like if you're questioning what the pastor said, that you're against him. And it's like, you know, I was never against the leaders. I just genuinely was curious because a lot of times the stuff they said didn't make sense to me. Mm. And of course, now we have a whole generation where they don't have to ask us the questions. They can go Google it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they can go and become an expert in something without ever going to seminary just by, you know, finding things online. And so ever since we hit the information age, and I've been trying to tell pastors now for at least 15 years that are like 45 and up, you can't just pull a sermon out of your behind on late Saturday night anymore and get up and preach it on Sunday. I said, because, you know, if you say this means this in the Greek, they're all looking it up on their phone. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like right there, you know, and so <laughs> it's forcing leaders also to have to be more well-read, a little more well-rounded. And I believe it's forcing leaders to finally do something. I was just over in Europe and after we ministered four days, we went, my daughter and her husband was with me and she found out we were only three hour train ride from Paris. And so she had to go to the Eiffel Tower. I mean, there was no way she was going to go with me to Europe and not go to the Eiffel Tower. And so we went for a couple of days, but on the way back to Amsterdam to fly out, we stopped in Brussels, Belgium, because I have a Facebook friend that's a partner of our ministry. He's followed us for a while. We've never met. And if I ever come to Europe, I said, well, actually, I'm going to be there and I'd love to see Brussels. And he said, well, why don't you just stop there on the train? I'll pick you up. We'll take you to lunch. Love to spend a little time with you. Took us around the downtown historical area that was amazingly beautiful. But we sat in discussed. And one thing he said to me, he said, one of the reasons he said that I felt this connection with you by listening to you on YouTube and watching some of your stuff and what you say on Facebook is your willingness to say, I don't know. He said, the tradition I was raised in, the preachers never said, like, I don't know. And I, I mean, I was shocked because I've just kind of always lived that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, if someone asked me a question, I don't have an answer. I'm like, that's a great question. I don't know. You know, I've, <laughs> I've never studied that. It's almost like our church of the past made preachers especially feel like they had to have an answer for everybody or they weren't, quote unquote, a true man of God. And, yeah. and what I found is saying, I don't know, actually endears people to you more because mm. they're like, wow, he's like me. You know, yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't know everything either. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I think that's one thing grace does for us is God gives grace to the humble. Grace causes us more and more to be less dogmatic, to be able to say, man, I don't know. you know. And so we've got a whole culture right now that is very much, if our church systems, and if we've not built cultures where it's healthy to ask questions, first of all, you're not going to have any Gen Z and any millennials. Because if they can't ask questions, they're just not going to be there. And sad thing is, is, you know, if we don't change this, we're going to lose a generation that is not interested at all in mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff we're talking about. They have real questions about deep questions about 
God, about his character, about the Bible. And we have to be at least willing to start engaging. And that, that's what I'm seeing the more and more that I travel is how open people are because they've had these questions inside for years. I mean, I have people mm-hmm. in their 70s come to me after I teach and they're like, we always knew that wasn't right. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, they're like something <clears throat> inside of us said, no, that doesn't make sense. But everything being taught to us by people we trusted said it's this way. And so we didn't question it. But at the same time, there wasn't a peace inside either. Yeah, I'm certainly seeing that too. Tell us about the hunger that you saw in Denmark and the types of people there, their professions. We were actually in the Netherlands. There were some people Mm. from Denmark that came in Switzerland, Macedonia, (laughs) from Belgium. There were people from at least, I think, seven or eight nations that came to the conference. And every morning had probably a good 50 to 60 leaders. A lot of pastors came that were a part. And I was pleasantly surprised at how open and how hungry they were. Because those areas of Europe are bastions for reform theology and Calvinism and a lot of, you know, more starch, if you may. Matter of fact, I mentioned to you before we went on the air that I told everybody over there in Europe, I said, I've never had any desire to preach in Europe. Most of my preaching overseas has been in Africa and Central and South America, normally where there's Black and Hispanic people, because I tend to have a grace in those regions anyway, as well as the States. And I said, it's always been kind of the white European religious people that have always bothered me the most. And that's when (laughs) the Holy Spirit a couple years ago really dealt with me. And he said, you have room at your table for all these different cultures and for publicans and prostitutes and all these other people, but you don't have any room for Pharisees. And it really hit me. And I said, you know, Lord, you know, yes, I'm going to make room at the table for, quote unquote, the religious that are hungry. And three months later, I get, you know, a call to come to Europe. And I was shocked at how open they were, how hungry they were. I mean, they can't wait for us to come back. I've got some of them that are going to come to my conference in May, that my yearly conference for my network that I oversee. And so it was super exciting. Boy, it sounds like it. And I think of Jesus' words that the fields are ripened to the harvest. And that harvest field, a big part of that is uh, they're sitting in the pews. And <laughs> they've had all these questions, like you said, and they're hungry for the answers and they're getting them. And gosh, it's wonderful. It really is. And one of the things that I really took away from being there that blessed me also is not only their openness, but once they heard, it wasn't like a rejection or attacking, if you may. They were very open to dialogue. I mean, they had me had me speak like nearly five times a day. I mean, <laughs> they about tried to kill me. <laughs> two morning <laughs> sessions, two afternoons and preach in the evening. And I was finally like, listen, if I come back again, I said, you know, I, I, I had grace for that in my 20s, 30s, and early 40s. I said, in my 50s now, I said, you know, I, I need a nap in the afternoon. You, you. <laughs> I was like, y'all are trying to kill me over here. But I mean, they, they were so hungry for it. My daughter and her husband came with me, and my daughter did some of her songs, and they had her lead worship several times. And then she did a couple breakout sessions on New Covenant worship, you know, about uh, just mm-hmm. how the language of our songs have mm-hmm. to start lining up preaching yeah many times our music produces more of our belief system than our sermons you know because people remember a song they forget a sermon sometimes they forget the sermon by the time they got to the restaurant you know (laughs) from another church and they're like hey do you have a good service man we had a great service what'd your pastor preach on uh the bible you know i mean they've already half forgot the sermon which is why, you know, David would 
get a, a prophetic word or a revelation from God, and he would immediately send it to Asaph. And he'd say, put this to music, because they're going to forget the sermon, but they won't forget the song. And about how so many of our songs are about our separation, uh, desperation, it's language of orphans, it's languages that don't deal with our union with God. You know, we're constantly asking him to come. We're constantly asking him to fall. You know, we're asking him to do all of this stuff that literally gives people an idea that God's out here and he's not in here. And it brings more confusion many times than we realize. And I, I think it's uh, James, where James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. One translation of that actually says a double-covenanted man oh. is unstable in all of his ways. And for me, that's a lot of our worship services. You know, we start the service with asking God to open the heavens. You know, even though when Jesus came out of the Jordan, the heavens open, and nowhere does it say they ever closed. If you're in Christ, you live under an open heaven, right? No such thing as a closed heaven to you. Uh, right. You know, and we're begging God to come to the service, you know, and we'll sing a song asking him to enter the room. And then we'll sing a song about him, you know, being a very present help in time of trouble and flowing through us. And so most of the churches, so is he here? Is he not? Is he coming? Is he going? Is he flowing? Is he falling? It brings a lot more confusion sometimes than we even realize. Yeah. Uh, you know, and because <laughs> Holy Spirit said this to me. Uh, over 20 years ago, he said, you can sing a lie as well as speak a lie. You can speak false doctrine as well as sing false doctrine. And, you know, uh, that, that's why so many times our songs are, you know, I remember, you know, when I was growing up in the church, the classical Pentecostal church, it was a song we love to sing all the time. And it would be like, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. You know, I can see his <clears throat> glory on each face. And I remember as like a five, six year old boy looking around and half the people were standing there, you know, and I remember sitting there thinking, if that's glory, I don't want it. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if you're going to say about glory being on each face, it would probably be a good thing. You know, if people were at least smiling when you're singing that song, but it's amazing how many things that we sing and that we say, you know, a lot of the churches I oversee and a lot of my spiritual sons, they like to tease me with this. Because they know one of my pet peeves is when it's offering time. And we've just been trained in the church to get up and say, we're going to take up the offering. But yet in Hebrews, it says Moses took tithe, but Melchizedek receives. I said, sometimes I said, it's an old covenant mindset to say, we're going to take up the offering. Because first of all, no one likes anything taken from them. (laughs) You know I mean? I don't like anybody sticking me up. I don't like anybody taking anything from me. Rather than say we're going to now receive the love gifts, because in the new covenant, it's about receiving. But something as subtle as just that little bit of language, it can Mm. subconsciously cause people to think in certain realms. And so, you know, just like it seems like in scripture, every time God was about to do something new and fresh, the language changed. It's like, you know, he's about to send rain during Noah's day. And they were like, well, what's rain? It was new language to them. It had never rained on the earth. You know, Mm. nothing had ever fallen from the sky. God had placed everything in the earth to take care of the earth. I don't think it was ever God's plan to drop stuff out of the sky. Mm. You know, it was always from within that he wanted to bring information. And so then you got Moses' day and the language started to change. Joshua's day, they had to go from pouting to shouting. Mm. It's like their language, you know, and then you've got you know, the examples of the children of Israel when they stationed themselves by the Jordan River, 
and that whenever someone from a different tribe or one of their enemies would cross that river, they would have them say the name Shibboleth. Only people from that tribe could say the name or say Shibboleth correctly, you know, and anyone else would pronounce it in a way that they knew they weren't from that tribe or they were an enemy trying to sneak in or, but, but it's just interesting how the language tends to change. Jesus shows up and the language is different. Yeah. All he's talking about is this father, you know, all they knew about was this God, this King, this Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, he uses all this father language and he starts talking about this kingdom and he's talking about everything that's within him. It's like whole language uh, begins to change and, and see the same thing happening. And what I believe is a third reformation that we are really in now. And it's a reformation of grace, the heart of the Father, and the language, the songs, everything is starting to change and shift. And it's really exciting, <laughs> man. It really is. <laughs> Jamie, we're about out of time for this episode. We'll finish up here in a minute and stop the recording, and then we'll uh, we'll do another recording. People will uh, see us a few days later. We'll have the same shirts on. You'll probably have the same Nike hat on. But by the time you hear us from one to the next, we will have showered and uh, sort of shaved. I, I don't shave very much anymore. And I can see that you don't either, uh, which is a good thing. <laughs> but before we finish up, tell people how they can connect with you and, and tell us about your conference that you've got coming up later on this spring, if you would. Yeah, thank you. I would love to. First of all, I'd encourage people to follow me on Facebook. They just put my name in, Jamie Englehart, and then they really need to follow me. They can't friend request me really anymore because it's full, but they can still follow that page and still get all the information. Also, my website, which is himconnect.net. On there, they can get an audio version of my book, an e-version of my book. Uh, they can also get my book on Kindle as well as Amazon. And pretty much the best ways to get a hold of me is through Facebook and through my website. We've got the info. And uh, right on the website, I'm also excited because we just got our first one up and we were supposed to have the other three up. Our, our, uh, we had some technical difficulties with some stuff. I've started to do six-hour e-courses uh, that are professionally videoed where people can go on uh, and sign up for the e-course. We call it Awaken Academy. And the first one up is on hell. It's called What the Hell? Because it's time we figure out what the hell about this hell, uh, you know, is actually going yeah. up. And so people can go check out that e-course. Again, there's six hours, kind of more in-depth for a lot of times when I travel and speak. You know, I'm only speaking 45 minutes to an hour. I don't have time to break things down for like six hours. And so the next one will be out on eschatology, hopefully here in a couple of weeks. And just understanding what the last days are really the last days of. And then we'll have one on the gospel, and then we'll have one on how to understand and study the Bible. And then from there, my goal is three or four a year. But they can get that on the website, and on the website store is all the information to our conference. We're having uh, Paul White as our main speaker in the evening. I'm going to speak in the morning. We've got some uh, other wonderful men doing some things in the morning, meals together, everything else. And that is May 12, 13, and 14 in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Actually, just over the border into Indiana, but May 12, 13, and 14, they can actually find that on my page because I share it about once every three weeks in an event page, and it's got all the information on it. Great. We also include a tour of the Louisville Slugger baseball bat plant while they're there. It's not far away. Absolutely. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. Boxing fan, Muhammad Ali Museum. Was right there. You know, there's yeah. all that. <laughs> yeah, you got it all. Uh, good. 
Well, guys, Jamie, thank you so much. This is exciting and encouraging to me, guys, to see what's happening around the world and, and of course, uh, here in the United States. And we'll talk some more about that, you and I, in a few minutes, but people will see it in a few days uh, on the next episode. Jamie, thanks again. Thank you. My honor. And thanks, everybody, for being with us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray and today with my friend Jamie Inghart. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.